Just as a body is one whole made up of many different parts, so it is with Christ. And through his one spirit, we all said goodbye to our old and inadequate lives. We each used to independently call our own shots, but now we have entered into a full and integrated life with God in which he has the final say in everything. Each of us is now a part of his resurrection body, refreshed and sustained at one fountain, his spirit, where we all come to drink. The labels we once used to identify ourselves, our heritage, our backgrounds, our status, our past. These labels are no longer useful. We need something else now, something... Something different. Different. Something bigger. Something more comprehensive. So now what? Your body has many different parts. Uh, limbs. Organs. Uh, organs. Cells. Cells. Cell membranes. Cell, cell membranes. Cells. Cells. Okay, thank you, biology textbook. Yes. But no matter how many parts you can name, you are still one body. You may think this gives you less significance, but it actually gives you more. The body isn't just one part blown up into something huge. It's all the different but similar parts arranged and functioning together. Uh, if foot says, Uh, I'm not elegant like hand, embellished with rings. I guess I don't belong to this body. But does that make it any less a part of the body? Even if ear starts to whine, Uh, I'm not beautiful like I, clear and expressive. I don't deserve a place on the head. <laughs> In all its pouting, it is still part of the body. Ah, I get it. I've got it. Imagine the entire body as a giant eyeball. How would an eyeball be able to hear? Or if the entire body were an ear, how would it be able to smell? Yes, yes. This, this is, is where, where God, God comes, comes in. in. God has meticulously put each of us in the exact place to perform the exact function he wants. So no matter how significant you are, it's only because of what you are a part of. If every member were a single part, where would the body be? Yes, like a giant eyeball or an enormous hand is not a body, but a monster. What we have is one body with many parts, each its proper size and in its proper place. No, no part, part is, is important, important on its, its own. own. The way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together, together as, as a, a church. church. Each part is dependent on every other part. The parts we mention and the parts we don't. The parts we see and the parts we don't. And if one part is hurt, every other part is involved in the hurt and in the healing. Oof. And if one part flourishes, every other part enters into the exuberance. Where? Now I see Nene. Go church, go church. Go church, go church. Go church, go church. Go church, go church. We are Christ's body. That's who we are. We each have unique gifts to share. But only if you accept your part of the body does your part mean anything. So let us all grow in every way into him until we're all moving rhythmically and easily with each other. Graceful and efficient in response to Christ. Fully alive.
Seriously, right? Who needs a sermon after that? Let's all just eat donuts for a half hour. What do you say? Okay, a few weeks ago uh, uh, when I was teaching, I took a little bit of a risk and asked you guys to talk to each other. I know that's a big deal, but it went so famously that we're going to do it again, okay? So I want you to, uh, you're going to choose someone who's right around you, uh, and we're going to raise the stakes just a little bit. I want you to talk to someone who you didn't ride here in the same car with. I knew that's what you would say. We're going to be talking about spiritual gifts today. So I'd love for you to turn to that person. Would you just name like what your, what your top three spiritual gifts are in order? Okay, pause for a second. If you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, that's okay because we're going to talk about it. Just tell them something that you're good at, okay? One, two, three, go. Okay. Hello, hello. All right, I know that some of you guys that have the spiritual gift of teaching are giving a little sermon about it in your section. That's not really necessary. All right, let's, let's wrap that up and come together. All right. It's so great to hear you all talking to each other, honestly. It's outstanding. I want to talk to you today about spiritual gifts. Um, Before I talk to you about that, I want to talk to you first about conversion. Now, when I say the word conversion, especially in the context of the church, I think probably for many of us what we think about is that fork in the road that we came to, if you've you've come to that fork, where you came to the point where you heard about Jesus' promise of grace and forgiveness, about a new life that Jesus had for you, and you had to make a decision. You're presented with the, with the privileges, the responsibilities of transforming and changing your life. There was a fork in the road where you had to choose to say yes. You had to choose to receive the gift of forgiveness, of grace, that your sins are no longer counted against you. And it also came along with this, um, a change in leadership in your life. Where what you made the decision in conversion to say, Jesus, I need your forgiveness and I need your leadership. I need you to lead my life. I want to walk the pathway that you have for me. And that's a, that's a great decision. If you haven't made that decision, I hope you do today. Um, when I came to that fork in the road, I want you to know it's the best decision I ever made to give Jesus leadership in my life. It really is. But one of the things I love about this church uh, is that when we think about conversion, we don't just think about that we, were, uh, that we got converted back in the past. We have a vision that conversion is an ongoing process for us. That there's more than just your sins and the leadership of your life that need to get sorted out. And people that I talk to and in my own life have recognized that like over the years that I've been following Jesus, I've come to some significant forks in the road, what I would call defining moments, where I had to answer once again a yes or a no. Am I going to choose to let Jesus lead my life? Will I really step up fully to both the privileges and the responsibilities of what it means to be a follower of Jesus? Now, one of those times for me, one of those defining moments for my life was around this topic that we're talking about right here, spiritual gifts. It's funny, I grew up in the church, never heard a sermon about spiritual gifts. 
It wasn't until I was almost 30 years old that it became crystal clear to me that there, are, there is one body with many members and each of us has been given gifts. Now, for me, that defining moment uh, actually was in high school. There wasn't a sermon about gifts, uh, but our church was pretty Pentecostal. We really loved one gift, and that was preaching. And you knew it because our services were long. Uh, so like lots of us who were in the church and we thought about spiritual gifts, we recognized one gift and that was preaching. So uh, some of us kids in the youth group were asked every year to do a fundraiser called the Preachathon, where you raise money by stacking together a bunch of really bad young sermons into one really long one. That's not a great idea. If I was going to do a Preachathon, I would make it an hour sermon and with every hundred dollars that we raise, we'd shave a minute off. It would get shorter and shorter. <laughs> Bet you we'd make money at that, right? So I was one of the really bad high school mini-sermons that was part of this preachathon, And I'll never forget what happened after it was over. I was walking up the aisle to leave, and a woman stepped out of my way. It was a Pentecostal church. Um, and this woman said that she had a vision while I was teaching. And she said that she saw me standing there, um, and she saw oil getting poured over my head and down my beard. And you knew it was a vision because at 17, I had no facial hair. It took me to 24 before I finally grew something on this face, so it had to be a vision. And she said, I saw this oil coming down. She said, you were made to preach. Whoa. Now that was a problem. <laughs> Thanks. That was a little bit of a problem because I didn't really want to preach. I wanted to be rich. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple ways to do that. One of them was by being an attorney. So I had planned to follow in my father's footsteps and head off to school uh, to do pre-law and onto law and onto the good life that I had planned in my pathway. And at this moment, I had a choice to make. Am I going to say yes? Am I going to say another yes to Jesus' leadership of my life? Am I really going to step up to the calling that I have, that all of us have? The community of people that follow Jesus, we have a job to do, and that's called being a priest. We are all priests with the rights and the responsibilities that come with that. And I'm hoping that today, for some of you, maybe not all of you, Maybe, just maybe, this sermon could be a defining moment for you. And as far as I know, fully living out this calling of being a priest, of taking your spiritual gifts, of using them for the empowerment of the body, and for goodness sake, for the sake of blessing the world, I want you to know, no one slides into this. No one sort of drifts into this and then one day sort of wakes up and realizes, like, I found my place in the kingdom of God. It's, it's a choice. you got to choose it. And I hope that maybe for some of you today is a little mini conversion. So we're going to dig in. Uh, we're in this series right now uh, called God in Us. The subtitle of it is A Body Empowered by the Spirit. I really hope that that comes through loud and clear here today. Uh, and where this story starts for us uh, is in the book of Acts chapter 2 with the birth of the church. I'm not going to go super into this text. Uh, Greg is for sure going to tackle this one uh, in depth more next week. But I do want to take a look at it and point one part of that out to you so you can pay attention to the side screens. Jesus has told his followers, about a hundred or so of them, uh, that he wanted them to wait. He's like, hey, you guys do have plenty of work to do, but actually I need you to start off by getting together and praying and waiting for something to happen. And something totally happened. 
While they were together, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. Those tongues of fire separated and came to rest on each of them. It's a pretty significant moment in the birth of the church. There was one thing that God wanted to get crystal clear to this little group of 100 people, and that was they weren't going to get together and be a social club, a country club. They weren't going to be a, a human agency where what they would do is tackle the work based on all of their own personal skills and abilities. What they had to realize from day one and what we're wise to realize is that they and we are caught up in something supernatural. When you say the word church, the church is not a natural thing. It's not a collection of all of our strengths and personalities. This project called the church, the body of Christ, this is divine. God is in this. It's supernatural. And it's pretty amazing the way that this, uh, the visual illustration. So a flame comes into the room, into the center of the room. And if you think about it, that flame could have stopped right there. And then we would hear sermons about how none of us has the flame of the Spirit, but when we all get together, we sort of all come to this one room, and this is where the flame is. The flame is attached to the room. But that's not true. It could have been that the giant flame came to the middle of the room. It scanned the room to look for Peter, because he was a loud mouth and was kind of in charge. And then the flame could have been over Peter's head, and then everyone else could have been flameless. Funny thing is, Actually, it's not funny at all. The prevailing model of the church that we see most places that we look is that model. The pastor has a giant flame and everyone sitting in the chairs, they're lay people. I want you to know that vision is nowhere in the Bible. It doesn't exist. Instead, that flame that was in the middle of the room, it didn't go rest over Peter's head. It didn't go rest over Peter, James, and John, and they were sort of the trifecta, and everyone else was like average people. What happened to the flame? It separated, and it went over each one of their heads. The educated ones got the full flame, and the not so, full flame. The men in the room got the full flame. The women full flame. The rich ones in the room, the poor ones in the room, every category that you can think of, every person in that room above their head was a full flame. And this is really important for us. The vision that Jesus has of every single follower of Jesus is that we live out as full flame Christians. The power, the wisdom, the courage, the gifts, the strength, the life of the Spirit that God has, He has it for everybody, no exceptions. If you're a charismatic person, you have a big personality, or you're an introvert, both of you, full flame. If you're wealthy, if you're not so. If you have a PhD, if you're a high school dropout, both of you, full flame when it comes to this place. Sometimes I want to stand people up and I just want to sort of uh, Tony Robbins style stand people up in a crowd and say, do you really believe, I mean really, that you have the full flame of the Holy Spirit? 
that what God has intended for you is a full portion of life and hope and wholeness and power and energy and courage to do what it is that God has called you to do because you're a priest. Yeah. Because the funny thing happens that shows me sometimes that people don't really believe this. It's happened over all of my ministry life. When it comes to doing something, let's say after the service I'm up here, uh, somebody will come up here bringing a friend and say, oh, my friend's having a really hard time. Can you pray for them? Now, of course, I don't want to be rude, so I go, oh, of course, I'll pray for them, and I pray for them. What I think in the back of my head is, why don't you do it? Because the thing is, I think that people believe, Seth, you're, you're a pastor, so God listens to your prayers. He, he won't listen to mine. Or if someone needs the gospel explained, like this person has questions about how they can follow Jesus. If you say it, then you'll convince them and they'll believe it. And I go like, you do it. You have the full flame just like I do. We're designed to be a body where each one of the parts work together. The flame that's over my head, it's not any bigger than yours. Now, The flame that's over each one of our heads, it's God's vision that they be equal in size. Whether we tend to those flames and yield to those flames, that's another matter. And we're going to talk about that for the rest of the sermon. Okay? To do that, we're going to look at the words of Paul in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It was actually the the sort of text that this drama sketch was built on. Let's take a look at the side screens here. Chapter 12. Verse 1 starts off like this. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth and he says, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be what? It's totally part of my sermon today, what I would love to get across to everyone. I would love it if we all left and said, none of us can be uninformed about this, uninformed. You might not choose to do anything with it. That's totally up to you. My hope is that you totally do. But I don't want any of us to leave uninformed about this. And in in verse 7, Paul lays it out as clearly as he can in this chapter. He teases it out using like metaphors and stories that we heard about. He says it as clear as he can in verse 7. Now, to each one, the manifestation, the like visible gifts of the Spirit is given for the common good. That's like a three-point sermon. Point number one of this outstanding three-point sermon is to each one. I just want you to know that each includes the person who is sitting in your chair. (laughs) Each means you. You have been given the supernatural ability to do something that this body needs. And it's not for you. It's for the common good. When I get up here and teach, this isn't for me. I get up here and teach because this this is for you. This is a way that God has designed me to serve you. This is what the gifts are. These things are supernatural gifts. And let me say a couple things about that. First of all, uh, Greg is going to come next week, and he's going to talk about this thing called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Uh, There's like... uh, Churches that have different strengths, there's a strain of churches like Charismatic and Pentecostal that have ideas about baptism in the Holy Spirit. Um, There's lots of disagreement about this, and Greg is going to tackle that and sort of help clear and pave the way for us to understand that. Uh, And then after that, he's going to come talk about spiritual gifts. 
Uh, he's going to talk about some of the ones that uh, are more miraculous. They seem a little more strange. The working of miracles, tongues and interpretation, healing people, getting words of knowledge. What's up with discerning spirits? He's going to tackle that the week after. And so I'm trying to lay the foundation here in this first week. But I do want you to know that I'm going to ask the team to put up a slide with a list of the spiritual gifts. Now, this is a list of 24 of those gifts. The, the gifts listed in scriptures are not designed to be exhaustive, but representative. The Spirit is always doing something new and is free to give new and fresh gifts, but these ones are a pretty good place to start. I want you to know that every gift that you see up on that list, I'd love for you to look at it. Every one of those gifts is supernatural. Now, some of it, it's easy to believe that. You go like, well, prophecy, of course. But over on the right side in the top column, third one down, there's one called helps. I've met tons of people who have this spiritual gift and don't think it's supernatural. You know where I meet them all the time? In the nursery. People go down and work the nursery, and they sit in a rocking chair, and they rock a baby, and they think and other people think that what they're doing is just natural. Oh, you're just filling a slot. But what they're doing is utilizing their supernatural gift of helps. And I want you to think about what happens when they do. Sit in a rocking chair and rock a baby. And because they're doing that, a, a couple of new parents who are getting wiped out by that baby. That baby's having his way with them at home. And they're worn out and they haven't eaten and they fought. And they sure haven't been on a date in a long time, right? And they look forward to Sunday. Because Sunday for an hour and 15 minutes an hour and 20 if the sermon goes long. Because someone with a supernatural gift of helps is rocking that baby in the nursery. This couple gets to be part of a worship service where the music inspires them and encourages them. It lifts them up. The sermon challenges them. They make an action step. They go up at the end of the service and get prayed for by somebody with prayer gifts. And at the end of that hour and 15 minutes of supernatural activity, that was all sponsored and brought to you by a person with just the average gift of helps. That gift is supernatural. People that have gifts of teaching and craftsmanship and leadership, lots of times people think, well, this isn't spiritual. This is just a natural ability. Your natural ability is supernatural when it's put to the work of the supernatural body of Christ. You have a full flame and you have a gift. And then it's an interesting thing, and through the rest of uh, 1 Corinthians 12, it's almost like God's up there scratching his head like, okay, how can I communicate this idea to these people? And he thinks of a brilliant illustration. He thinks of the body. Uh, in one of my favorite lines from the drama, it's uh, one of the favorite lines like, if, if all of us were eyes and we formed a giant eye, what is a giant eye called? That's called a cyclops, right? That's a monster. No one wants to go to cyclops community church. Nobody, Okay. <laughs> What if we were all hands, you know? This happens in churches all the time. Did you know that? Because lots of times we have this view that the people up on stage, they have special gifts, and instead of using our gifts, we should try to have theirs. Uh, when I was in junior high, we had a, a football team. The problem with this football team is we played one game a year against our rival junior high, and, uh, and we had one practice before that one game. And whenever we recruited the team, we had 150 kids show up for that team. We ran out of numbers on jerseys. Coach would get together those 150 boys, 
And he'd say, he'd ask the dumbest question that a coach can ask 158th grade boys who are going to play one game all year. He says, who wants to be quarterback? Who raised their hands? Everybody did. Needless to say, we lost that game by double digits. It was terrible. One of the things that happens as churches is that the gifts of the leader or leaders, they become the gift that everybody wants. So you have a leader that has the gift of evangelism and everyone wants to have evangelism gifts. What happens in a church when all you have are evangelism gifts? You got a big mouth. That's what happens, right? Or this one, what happens if you go to a church where the person, kind of the main leader and communicator is like a genius, brilliant theologian? I know it's hard to imagine, but just imagine that you went to a church like that, right? And then imagine if everybody's goal in that church was to also be a genius theologian brain, and you had a church made up of a bunch of brains, right? A brain needs a heart to love, Right? And a body needs hands to reach out and care. And a body needs feet that can move out and move forward. Each one of you has the supernatural ability to do something well. And we need it. It's an amazing plan that God made to put us together into community where you have skills to bless me and I have skills to bless you and we have a way to encourage and be a full body because God has a vision and a lot of work to do out in the world. And he needs the body to have clear eyes and open ears and prepared mouths and full hearts and feet ready to move. And it's the funniest thing when I say this, because we talk about spiritual gifts. And if you think about it this way, the creator of the universe has prepared and given gifts to you, hand wrapped up. There are significant ways. A couple weeks ago, we talked about uh, what, what Jesus preached about was that rivers of living water would flow through us and out to other people. One of the primary ways that living water wants to flow through you is this gift that God has given you. Imagine if you go your whole life and you never unwrap that gift. You never decide that it's important to open it up and see what's in there. You've been given the supernatural ability to do something that will bring life to you and other people. Don't you want to know what it is? Now, I have some practical advice for you. You can actually pull your bulletin out um, and scratch down some ideas, okay? Um, how is it that I can find out what my gift is? Uh, and I'm going to ask him to put the list of gifts back up on the screen. How am I supposed to know which one of these gifts I have, Okay. Uh, the first thing I'm going to say is, and you can scratch this down in your bulletin, read everything that you can about spiritual gifts. There's the four main passages. You should totally start there, okay? Uh, the second thing you can do is you can get out your computer and you can go to Google and you can type in spiritual gifts in Google, 8.8 .8 million um, results. So just start in right at the top and just keep moving on through. If you do about 20,000 a week, you'll get there in a couple of months, right? Kidding, okay? Uh, what you will see in those Google results uh, is a couple of places where you can take a spiritual gifts test. You can answer some questions and they'll shoot some results to you. A word of warning. 
These tests aren't an exact science or perfect. They come from different church backgrounds and define different gifts differently. But if you wait to find the perfect test with no error, you're never going to take one. So just treat it like a doctor and get like a second and a third opinion. Take one and then take two and take three. And then come out with maybe a list of four or five of those gifts. Okay? And the next thing I would say to do, step three... So first thing, read everything you can. Second thing, take an assessment. Third thing is talk to people that you trust and who love you. Now this is challenging. Sometimes because of the way the church defines love, right? You ever seen someone who's convinced they had a spiritual gift and while they were using it, everybody in the room knew that they did not have that spiritual gift, but no one is going to say anything, right? Because in the church, to be loving means to keep your mouth closed, right? Wrong. Somebody needs to love that person enough to say, hey, I think you might want to shoot in another direction here. I'm not sure that this is it, right? And that's loving to do that. We've got to be careful to do that with people that we trust and that we care about. You might be here. You might say, I- I'm new or I've been here for a little while. I don't I don't have someone that I trust that's here that's part of this church. That's a reality for a number of people that come here. And what I would challenge you with is you're you're a priest. You have the full flame. You can reach out and make a friendship. You can invite someone out for lunch. You can show up to a cultivate class, sign up for a ministry team. There's lots of places that you can go to start working on building community with other people that are here because you need it. Okay? Last thing I want to say about this, so first thing is read everything that you can. Second, take an assessment. Third, take the results of that assessment and run it by some people that you love and trust. The last thing I want to say, and I wish it wasn't like this. You can do all those things, and at the end of the day, I still think that you land in the same place. It was like this for me. It's been like this for almost everyone I've talked to about this. The, it's trial and error. Being willing to take your gift and give it a try. Maybe you score high. You go, I have the gift of encouragement. I think I could be a good small group leader. So I'm going to sign up for Echo and lead a group of eighth grade boys in a journey group. You might during that year get eaten alive. That totally might happen to you. And then you get done with that and then you're going to have questions because you're going to say like, is this my spiritual gift? It may or may not be. You should ask the leaders in Echo to give you some feedback about that. But you know what? You may have exactly the right gift. You do have encouragement gift. You should try to be uh, encouraging a little community of people. But maybe junior high boys are too much for you, and you should try something else. Try a different context. Or the third thing, you may just have to develop your gift a little more. I think sometimes people think that when they have a spiritual gift, once they find it, that the first time that they venture into serving in a ministry, it should go swimmingly. The angels should sing. Everyone in the room should get saved and fully discipled, and they should throw a parade down White Bear Avenue in your honor, right? The truth of the matter is it doesn't really work that way, okay? Because it didn't work that way for me. So certainly that woman had the vision of the, you know, the oil coming down and, and saying I was designed to preach. But my first few uh, trips into the water, the, the trial and error that I had, didn't go that well. Uh, in fact, I'll never forget, uh, 
I was 27 years old, and the, I, was, I was helping my wife's youth pastor plant a new church. I was like the assistant. I did like a lot of the administration and a lot of the cleaning. I was like the, jan- I was the janitor and the youth pastor and the worship leader and the head greeter. And I did announcements. So then one time he's like, well, I want you to do the sermon. And so I, I, I spent a lot of time. I, I worked on the sermon. I gave the sermon. Afterwards, I thought, like, that went pretty well. He said, let's have breakfast tomorrow and talk about it. Okay. Bob's big boy, the next morning, I ordered pancakes. He said, how would you think it went? And I said, I think it went pretty well. He said, it was terrible. <laughs> I just... A small tear dropped from my eyes into the syrup. You know, I was like a bit heartbroken. And he said, Seth, you have the gift of teaching. Um, and you're supposed to be using it here. Um, but you didn't really prepare that well for it, did you? And everything inside of me wanted to just scream at him. But he was right. I didn't. He was a person in my life who was like a coach and a mentor, and he spoke the truth to me about that. My first time venturing into the waters here, it was a challenge. Reminds me uh, of a relationship between another senior church leader and a a person that he was mentoring uh, between Paul and Timothy. And the, the book of 2 Timothy is actually, most scholars agree, the very last thing that Paul wrote. He knew his life was coming to an end. He had invested in building churches and invested in lots of leaders, but no one more than Timothy. So like in his last will and testament, the last letter he's going to write to this person that he's mentored to be a leader in the thing that he's poured his life out for the church. Let's take a look at what he says to his young protege with some of his last words. He says, for this reason, because the church has been so important to me, And it should be this important to you, he says to Timothy. I want to remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. Now in a house in Paul's day, uh, it would be real common for there to be a fire in the center of that house. Uh, That fire was used for cooking and basically any kind of heating that needed to happen. So when it was getting ready to be mealtime... More than likely, the embers of the fire from the meal before that are still kind of hot, but kind of cool. And it was the job of somebody to take some fresh wood and put it on the fire. And you know what happens when you put fresh wood onto embers that are almost going out. It's someone's job to take something and to stand there and fan it to breathe some fresh oxygen so that flame can get sparked back to life. And this happened to Timothy. Paul was saying to Timothy, like, your your fire's gotten a little cool. This gift that you have, you're letting it settle into average and to mediocre. But I want you to know, that's that's not good enough, young Timothy. You've got to fan this thing into flame. Because it's important. Because it matters. I can't tell you how many people I know and I've talked to who've taken a spiritual gifts test They know what their gifts are, but they're afraid. They're afraid or they're too busy. They tell me, Seth, you don't understand. We just got married and had kids. We don't have any any time to serve. I got these gifts, but I'm not sure if I have them. I don't really get along with people. I'm an extreme introvert, so I just kind of stay on the sidelines. Or people who tried it one time, they like dipped their toes in the water of serving and it didn't go well. The ministry leader didn't thank them enough. The kids didn't listen to them. And so they... 
after one try at the age of 30 years old, they went into permanent gift retirement. <laughs> and I think to those kinds of people, maybe that's you, I think the words of Paul to Timothy can apply to us too today. We got we to gotta fan these gifts into flame. Now, when I go to the doctor, uh, which is almost never, um, and I have something wrong with me, you know, like I have a pain in my side, the doctor always does this dumb thing. He starts checking all the things that aren't my side. He puts a dumb little stick in my mouth that says the temperature. I don't know why we're wasting time with that. The problem's right here, doc. Focus here. Puts a cuff on my arm to check my blood pressure. Like, what are we doing all this ridiculous stuff for? Because the doc knows, like, there's a couple vital signs to keep an eye on. They don't tell you everything, but they tell you some things. Um, and actually, we're going to take a little blood pressure check at Woodland Hills this morning. You had a little piece of paper in your bulletin. If you didn't grab a bulletin, there's some extra pieces of paper in the cup on the aisleway, along with some pencils. The 5 o'clock service on Saturday and the, and the 9 o'clock service this morning did a really great job getting these things filled out, and so there's high expectations for you at 11, okay? I want you to grab those pieces of paper and a pencil. Love for everybody to do this. I just have three quick questions for you. You're not going to put your name on it. There's no judgment. We just want to get a little sense of what's happening around here, okay? All right, everybody got a card and a pencil? Okay, question number one. And these are all yes or no questions, okay? You can answer with a yes. If you don't even want to say a full yes, you can just put Y or N. That's how easy we're going to make this, okay? First question. Um, I know my spiritual gifts in, uh, in order. I can name them right now, yes or no. I know what my spiritual gifts are. I could name them. Just a yes or a no. Again, no judgment. We just want to get a little idea. Second question. Uh, if you answered yes to the first question, yes or no, um, if the first question is, I, I know what my spiritual gifts are, the second question is, uh, yes or no, I'm utilizing those gifts within a ministry in our church or out in our community. So the first question that's a yes or no is, I know what my gifts are. The second question, I'm currently using those gifts, either here in the church or out in the community, yes or no. Here's why this question is important. We survey American workers. God has built each one of us to be really good at some things. God has made us so that when we do those things, it brings immense joy to our lives and it blesses other people. It's the way we were created to live. Did you know that most Americans, over 80%, over 80% spend 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 hours working at jobs that don't take advantage of the things that they're best at, that they love to do. Over 8 out of 10. You've been given gifts. Lots of you don't get to utilize those gifts in your work. But in the church, you should be able to. So yes, do you know your gifts? Yes or no? The second question, are you serving using those gifts? Yes or no? And then the third one, this one's going to be a little more challenging. If the church was to offer a class on spiritual gifts, would you go? Now, before you answer yes or no, I just want to let you know. This would probably require you driving here to the building to come to a class. Okay? 
Uh, it would probably require more than one class. There might be a series of sort of three or four weeks, and it probably would be in an evening on a weekday, okay? So if your answer is still yes, if you could overcome all three of those enormous obstacles, you'd have to drive here, it'd be in the evenings, it would be a couple of weeks, would you take it, yes or no? And don't say yes and then don't show up, okay? Just say yes or no, that will, that will help us, okay? Uh, I'm going to ask the music team to come up. Uh, and I'm going to ask the ushers to come up. We're going to take a minute and, and take the offering and collect our little blood pressure checks. Uh, and then after the offering, I'm going to come back up and share a final thought to close the sermon out, okay? Uh, this time, next week, uh, I'm actually going to be on the beach in Southern California. Me and my family are going on vacation. I know you all are real jealous. That's okay. Um, Funny thing is, like, uh, actually just in, uh, at our last trip, uh, my, my, my middle girl, Glory, uh, it was a big celebration last time we went to California because for the first time in her life, and she's been to the beach a ton, for the first time she, she actually got her feet wet in ocean water because she was, like, super scared a shark was going to eat her, you know? Um, and I know, you know, I know tons of people who go to the beach and are afraid of getting in the water, so they just sit in the sand and like sunbathe all day. And it doesn't make any sense to me because all the fun is in the water, you know? I meet people and I talk to them about their spiritual gifts. And they tell me they don't know what they are or they tell me that they're not sure that they have any. Or they tell me they know what they are but they just can't find a place. And to me it's like a bunch of people who are sunbathing on the beach when they were totally made to be in the water, you know? I don't understand it. People who have like dipped their toes in the water one time and it didn't go well, so they just have signed up for permanent retirement on the beach. And I used to try to argue with people like, no, come on, you can get back in the water, you know? Let me just say a quick caveat. You know, there's a number of people who come to this church after having really hard experiences in the water. They jumped into a ministry, a church plant, something, and it didn't go well and they got hurt. It's okay to get out of the water and get on the beach and dry off for a little while. Let's just not make it permanent retirement, okay? Because you're supposed to be in the water. We, yeah. We sang about this in that song, you know. God, God makes us brave. He empowers us to do stuff that we couldn't do on our own. He invites us off of the shore and into the waves. And it sure is risky, but it sure is worth it. And just one quick reminder about this. The reason why you should try to find out what your gifts are and the reason why even though you might be scared about it or not feeling empowered or the reason why you should use them is because you are going to come to the end of your life and you are going to stand before a God who is a good, good father and loves you deeply. And your forgiveness isn't going to be in the balance. His love isn't going to be based on how well you did. But he is going to ask you a question. He's going to say, remember, I wrapped up some special gifts and I gave them just for you. Did you unwrap them? And you're going to have to stand in your own shoes at that point. No pastor is going to answer for you at that point, you know? And he's, if, if you unwrapped them, he's going to say, well, what did you do with them? Did you, did you use them for the common good? Did you bless people with them? And you're going to have to stand in your own shoes at that point. I know for me, when I stand at that moment, I know God's not looking for perfection. He doesn't expect it. He knows me well enough to know that that's not going to be what he gets. But I don't know about you. I do want to hear 
some version or some variation, the, the greatest leader, the biggest servant, the person who laid his life down for you and for me, who gave me only good things in my life, I want to hear him say some kind of variation of like, you, you did a good job. I'd even go for pretty good, you know? Um, I, I hope that same thing for you, and I hope the same thing for us as a body, as a church. When God says, like, hey, Woodland Hills, I, I gave you some gifts, and I put you on this corner in, in Maplewood. If you're, you know, listening to the podcast, wherever you are, like, God gave you gifts, and he put you in a spot. What, what are you going to do? It's, it's your move. 